podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Boom, we're on. Today's guest, we've got the Russian, Nico. I'm going to have to pronounce it, Vorobyov. My first well Russian, done, brother. Bro. Well done, My first Russian. <laughs> man, if you knew how many times people fucked up my name in school, man. But you nailed it the first time. Yeah, I'm, I'm good at that, mate. I'm good at that. Brother, you, you sent me your book, Dope World. Great read. Came out last summer. Um, you've travelled all over. You've been in El Chapo's house. Yeah. You've um, mixed it with some of the big boys, but you don't call yourself a gangster. You kind of say you're a geek. Yeah, yeah. Um... So the whole reason why I like, I mean, you can hear my voice now. I, I don't sound like a British guy. Actually, I don't sound like anything. So I grew, uh, I was born in Russia, but I learned English in America from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Then I moved here. So like my accent is all fucked up. Actually, even if I speak Russian, I don't have a Russian accent in Russian. I have an English accent. So people call me like Israeli or some shit. But anyway, so like I never really fit in anywhere. I was always like the odd one out. And like uh, growing up in school, like that was quite hard. I was always like the, I was always the foreign kid, the Russian kid. So kind of to to fit in more, like I thought, you know, I should be a drug dealer. I'll get invited to all the parties. I'll get all the girls. Plus, it seems like a pretty easy job. So that's how I got on it. That's how it started. Yeah. So yeah. you were you were born in Russia. Yeah. From Russia with love, and then. You've been to England, America, you've been all over, you've been all over the world trying all sorts of drugs, you've been in prison for <laughs> drugs, yeah. you have beaten people up, you've also been beaten up. Um, been stabbed. Yeah, you've got a crazy story, brother, and this is why you're here. Um, <laughs> but let's go right back to the start, Nico. When you were born in Russia, what age did you, did you come to England? I think it must have been about 95, 96. But... I was living mainly in uh, mainly in Bath, um, which is in like southwest England. And back then, like it's changed a bit now, but back then there was basically no foreigners. There was like me, this one Iranian kid, a couple of Pakistani kids, and that that was it. Everyone else was just straight white British. And like, if it was really hard for me to to fit in with my with my accent and everything, and that's why like I tried exploring different paths. I got involved in the. Um, kind of the Bristol rave scene. So Bristol's got like quite a big, uh, quite a big drum and bass scene. It's also the UK's Ketamine capital by complete coincidence, I'm sure. So yeah, I'd be, get like, um, get an ounce of MDMA and then every weekend I'd head out to either to a club or to like one of those underground parties. Uh, so like one of those ones where like you, you look it up on Facebook and it's like the gathering of the celestial souls or some shit and it's going to be like secret location and you have to call them to get the location on the night. So I'd be going to those every weekend and then yeah, I'd clear about like MDMA ecstasy. It's got the biggest profit margin. <clears throat> so weed when I was selling it, it's changed a bit now. It's got more expensive, but weed when I was selling it like uh say you spend uh 75 quid you get 25 back from that so you make like 100 quid altogether 25 profit but uh with mdma and ecstasy you could quadruple your investment just like over the weekend just sell the whole ounce boom that's like what 400 pounds in your pocket for however much you spent if you spent 100 pounds and yeah it was fun plus i got to go to loads of parties I started to feel a bit more popular and yeah, life was good. How old were you? I was uh, I was a late bloomer. I might have been about 17, 18 or so. What was your parents like? You know, my parents didn't know anything. So like, I'm completely middle class. I didn't have like that upbringing where, where people say, oh, yeah, I had, a, I had a hard life. Maybe I had a hard life in other ways, but I mean, I'm disgustingly white and middle class. And both my parents are academics. So my mum teaches economics and my dad teaches maths. And ironically, I'm shit at both. Just shit with money. So what the fuck happened to you then, Nico? <laughs> I was the black <laughs> sheep, man. You don't want to be You don't want to be like your parents. Mm-hmm. Being like your parents is never cool. Uh-huh. So when you started selling drugs and stuff, when you started 
selling MDMA. We sell an ecstasy at the time as well. Yeah, yeah. MDMA Everything. is the same thing, basically. Yeah. MDMA is just the, the Pure. powder version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hits you harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you nearly lost your life as well. Did someone rob you? Yeah. Um, so at one of those one of those underground parties, I, I was I was doing pretty well. I was selling my stuff. Then uh, three kiddies with uh, in hoodies came up, and they're like, uh, "Yes, how much for the for the whole thing?" And I was like, um, "I got I got suspicious, but it was I'm not gonna lie. It's also about three or four o'clock in the morning, so I was also pretty drunk." pretty high getting tired i wasn't really thinking about it too much and they managed to kind of lodge me into the corner of the party like kind of far away from everyone and like when i realized what they were gonna do i pushed one of them out the way and then like the other one said oh why are you making moves with my mate like that and like the next thing i know i don't know what exactly hit me but something hit me on the side of the head and like you know it's like a cartoon you know where you see like sparks flying around your head mm-hmm. buds yeah 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 little russian dolls <laughs> one inside the other <laughs> and yeah next thing i knew i was on the floor getting the shit kicked out of me um i got stabbed i got stabbed um well overall i got stabbed six times so on the left side of my body so on my arm just like a small one here i think it hit the ribs so it didn't do anything but the big ones were on my leg I don't think they're trying to kill me. They're just trying to make sure I don't get back up again. And yeah, they um, they took all my food. They took all my cash. Managed to hold on to my phone, though. I pretended like I lost it and managed to hold on to my chain. So I didn't give that up. Um, and yeah, they just, they just walked off. But the funny thing is, when all that shit is happening to you, yeah? Your adrenaline's going like boom, boom, boom. So I actually didn't realize what had happened to me until hours later. So I just went back to the party. Like, obviously, like, I was kind of pissed off. Like, yeah, I just got robbed and all that. But it didn't dawn on me how bad it actually was. When I was when we were already walking back to the uh, to the train station to get back to my house. And then, like, I could hear this coming from my shoe. And I looked down and just, like, the this whole side of my body is just red. So blood had dripped all the way down my body. It was going into my shoe, filled up my shoe, and I was spilling out. That's when I thought, right, I should probably get that checked out. Mm-hmm. And the other funny thing was, um, and at the knife actually, it set, it cut my nerve endings, so I could literally feel no pain. Um, and then when uh, when I got to the hospital, the nurse was actually surprised that I hadn't passed out from blood loss, and I yeah. just went back to Raven for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. So what was your life like after that then? Were you thinking, I need to give this shit up, it's too dangerous? Or did it spur you on to go and sell more drugs, become violent yourself? Nah, um, I mean, like, I was still young then. I was still about 18. So, like, when you're young, I don't think you've got the sort of, like, the 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 risk-reward balance just right. When you're younger, you think you're invincible. Like it's like you know, like if you're a soldier you're going to war, you never think you're going to be the one who gets killed in the ambush. Mm-hmm. Think like someone's going to get killed or wounds going to be the other guy. You never think it's going to be you. When you get a bit older and you kind of see more of the world and you look back on it and you think, yeah, it was fucking dumb. And really, I should have stopped there, but I didn't. I kept on going. Uh, I moved to London. I actually expanded my. Had a few mishaps, but I eventually expanded my operation. I had like a couple of guys, three or four guys just like selling weed for me as well, as well as doing my own stuff. And then, yeah, then eventually I got caught. In London? Was it yeah, in, in London. the tube station? That was just the dumbest shit ever. Yeah. That was like, because, you know, if you're a criminal, no, if you're the police, you need to get lucky the one time. Yeah. If you're a criminal, you need to get lucky every time. Because they've got dogs and shit down at the London stations, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the stupid thing. So, like, I always tell my friends, um, don't take anything on the tube. There are dogs on the tube. Because sometimes they like to stand around near the exit, and then it's just, like, an easy way to arrest people, mm-hmm. you know? By that time, I was in a rush. I thought, fuck it. I put, like, um, three half-gram wraps. Uh, no, six half gram wraps of MDMA in my pocket. So I had three grams, which would have been personal amount, but they were in half gram wraps. So it looked like six grams and there's no mm-hmm. way I could black that. And then 
uh, I got to the top of the escalators and the dogs were there and I can't really, it was one of those tube stations where you can't really turn around, you can't like run back the escalators because some other ones you can pretend you're going to a different platform. But there, like, I could only hope that like, because the, the dog's attention spans about 20 minutes. I was kind of hoping that the dogs were just there for show and they just dared to ignore me. But either they picked up on... um on the the weed i would handle earlier that day or maybe there was something mixed with the mdma or like i was just looking suspicious as hell and... as a possible yeah 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 <laughs> because some dogs as well can't smell mdma or yeah, they used to yeah, say yeah. certain dogs for certain scents but i think most dogs can scent have weed so yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you've been stinking of weed. It says Pilham, and then they found the MDMA. So you got what did you get? Or maybe your... they got the dogs to like just like sit down as they normally would. They just train yeah. them whenever they want to check someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make an excuse, give it a wee nudge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what did you get three years for in London prison? Um, I got, I got three years for uh possession with ten supply class A and B. And I got something weird like criminal use of property, which is all my money. <clears throat> but I was really happy that they didn't go through my phone because I could have had like fraud and money laundering yeah. and some other stuff as well. Is that like proceeds of crime? Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. What was prison like for you? Prison, I honestly, um, I wasn't there for that long. I wasn't there like uh, like Johnny Boy doing a, yeah, Johnny doing Boy a 20 Steel. stretch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like, for a first-timer, it's always going to be hard. Like, especially, like, when you have no idea. Like, if you haven't been to Borstal, like, youth detention or anything like that, you have no idea what's coming. It's mm-hmm. a massive shock to the system. So, uh, what happened was, like, on the first night, I sat down. I didn't I didn't have the exact figure now, but I worked out. Like, just because, just like, I was still trying to process it all. I worked out to the second how many sec- min- hours, days, minutes, and seconds my sentence was going to be. Mm-hmm. And like, I started counting down. I seconds. got to about, yeah, I got to about like 3,000 before I realized like, no, nah, this is just making me more insane. Yeah, that'd make you ill. What was your clients like? What was your, was it snobs? Was it posh boys? Your clientele? I was mostly, so when I got, by the time I got to London, I was in uni. Mm-hmm. So it was mostly like, um, like middle class, like hipsters, students i got some of their mates as well so like yuppies you know like young bankers young it guys and so like that's one of the things why i didn't like really see what i was doing as wrong because like if you watch movies like new jack city or whatever Mm -hmm. you have like the sort of like stereotypical crackhead is like coming up to them in rags like trying to pawn off their mother's jewelry and they just fucking kick him away get the fuck out of here just take his change overcharge him but it wasn't like that at all. Like it just seemed, it just seemed normal to me. It just I felt kind of like um, like a bartender, you know. So I guess like the way I I saw it was like, I didn't see. I still didn't see like drug dealing as inherently bad. But obviously, a lot of stuff around drug dealing is bad, fucking like kidnapping, robbery, murder, all that shit. It's like Al Capone. He wasn't a bad guy because he sold beer because beer was illegal in mm-hmm. America in the 20s. He was a bad guy because he fucking lined geezers up against the yeah, wall. Tommy blast them, yeah. Them. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And because I wasn't, I wasn't one of those guys. I was never one of those guys. Um, I threatened people a couple of times, but I never really did anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never one of those guys, so I just didn't... Do you have to play the part sometimes? Yeah, I mean, obviously... You can't look, look like a pusher, not to the customers and to the other dealers, but like, I think I've only ever actually put hands on someone once in my life, and that was in school. See, that's not too bad considering a life of selling drugs, selling gear, anything. There's always going to be someone who tests you, and the ego always gets the better of you, where you feel as if you need to make a point, make a statement that nobody can treat me like that. So, yeah, but why, why did you choose that path? Why did you go that path if you're middle class, good family, yeah. academic, you've got good opportunities? Why did you choose it? Was there certain things that triggered that? Was it because you got bullied? Or yeah. Was it because yeah. you wanted some respect and you knew? Drug dealers get respect, but for me, they don't. once you got older, they don't get any my fucking respect because they're destroying lives. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're destroying other people's lives to benefit their own yeah, agenda. Yeah, yeah. So 
when it's younger and you, you watch films like Scarface and all the, yeah, yeah. You, you're glorifying it, you go, wow, that looks amazing, the fast cars, the girls, but in time, all that shit fades away. It either gets took off you or yeah. you're dead. Yeah, It's crazy. Yeah. Was there anything that triggered your mind to go, that's the life I want because of the attention? Yeah, I just wanted, I just wanted a shortcut, really, just a shortcut to be popular and just like, just to not be seen as a as a pushover and stuff. That's what I was looking mm-hmm. for. But obviously, I I knew I couldn't. I didn't have the heart to like go out and rob anyone. So that's what I had to sell for. Before that, my main hustle was um, I used to sell uh, used to sell pirate DVDs. But that's before everyone discovered the internet. You know, this yeah. was like mid two thousands. Put you out of business. Yeah, before yeah, you even yeah. started. How did it get you any respect? Yeah, in the end, you know, I got had a lot of had a lot of friends in interesting places. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably shouldn't say too much about them around here, but yeah, the by the in uni, I was just getting invited. To, there wasn't a party that I was invited to by mm-hmm. the end of by the end of uni. Do you think you were getting used then as well for people to take your gear as well? Sorry, do you think you were getting used as well though? Because you had the gear that if he comes to the party, we get free stuff. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't mind because, you know, like in my mind, that was like, I'm bringing something to the table. No, nothing comes for free, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. So for a man to be involved in drugs, in prison, nearly dead, how did you, why did you start traveling the world and trying other drugs and getting stories? Because I know you've been to, where's that place you've been? Is it? Ma- sh- the shooting with Mania Ma- Manila, Manila? Yeah, the, Manila. The Philippines yeah someone got shot dead that was wild I'll get to that in a bit but first to answer your first question so um, so when I was in prison like one good thing about prison is you got a lot of time you got a lot of time on your hands yeah 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 so I read a lot of books I really liked um, Howard Marks uh, Mr. Nice mm-hmm. and I really liked this other book called El Narco which is about like the drugs war in Mexico and that got me kind of thinking about like the the whole situation um because you said like uh like drugs ruin lives and yeah that's true but like things like alcohol like alcoholism ruins lives as well oh yeah yeah that's a drug yeah in yeah. my eyes it's a drug or gambling not even a drug but it's yeah, like another kind yeah, of addiction yeah. addiction overeating sex anger yeah you yeah, become yeah, addicted yeah. to it there's so many different addictions yeah um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah people but i was crave. wondering why like one is legal and one isn't or like, for example, why in like in America and like some countries today, uh, alcohol is like is illegal. It's considered a drug. So I wanted to find out more, and um, yeah, I got I got a real job. I I hated it, but I got a real job. What were you doing? I was um, I was uh, working at RT, you know the the Russian news news media outlet. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't really doing much. I was just in the newsroom typing up stories. But it let me save up money. And gave me a few connections to the to the journalism world. Legit world. Yeah, yeah, the legit journalism. Well, yeah, some, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're dodgy bastards as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so I started saving up, uh, booked a bunch of flights, and I figured like I didn't always have the idea to write a book, but like when I was in prison, uh, and I started writing letters to people outside, so people outside thought like. This is like quite a quite a like a funny or like an interesting insight into prison life that they wouldn't normally get because again they're all like middle class uni kids so they wouldn't have any experience most of them didn't have any experience this at all and uh, that's what first got me into writing I didn't set off to write a book but it kind of naturally formed along the way uh, I went to all sorts of countries went to uh, so I figure like. A lot of the books about drugs these days, they're like essentially on like the English speaking world. So they're talking about like America, the history of drugs in America or here in Britain, UK. Um, but like I thought, what about places like Iran and Russia and the Philippines? Like that hasn't really been covered much, especially like the Philippines now. Uh, they got this fucking psychopath of a president called Rodrigo Duterte. And he's declared like a total war on drugs. So um, anyone who's uh, a drug dealer, a drug user, uh, or is even being called a drug dealer or a drug user. So, you know, like say your neighbor doesn't like you and calls the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are all getting killed. 
So I think in the last three or four years, I I don't know what the total is right now because the numbers keep changing. But the last I read, it was like something like 30,000 people have been gunned down by death squads. Because they say they're drug dealers or even people who's addicted to drugs. Yeah. That's crazy. Or even people being like, they haven't even been proved to Mm -hmm. be these things. Word of mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, it's just like some, some. And list. who is this guy? He's a fucking nutcase in the Philippines. He keeps making like rape jokes. He's basically like Trump on crack. Yeah. Not literally on crack because he hates drugs. Mm-hmm. He kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> so he's killed thirty thousand people because that. For me, that's backwards. A war on drugs. Then there's no accepting you should be killing people because of certain addictions. I don't think addicts should go to prison either. I believe they've got a disease that they need to work on their mindset. That's one one really fucked up thing that's happening yeah. there is like once they heard about the killings, a lot of people like drug dealers, drug use, they started surrendering themselves. But then what happens when they give themselves into the authorities to go into rehab or whatever, their name gets put on the list. That li- Then like maybe a couple of weeks later, they get a knock, a couple of masked mm-hmm. men at the doorstep, bang. How did it know it's coming from him? Well, that's quite hard to prove, but like the MO for all these killings, it's the same. So like there's two kinds of killings. They have the police killings and they have the the vigilante killings. Mm-hmm. So the police killings, um uh the whenever the pol- it seems like whenever the police kill someone, they always seem to find like a gun and like a small pack of crystal meth or whatever lying next to them yeah 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 mm. and like i'm sure that like a couple of times that's like it's actually happened like it's like a life or death situation please have to shoot them obviously yeah. but it just seems a little too convenient that they just keep finding yeah. these things the same bag same amount lying yeah, next yeah, to the yeah, person yeah. so what is that a license to kill anyone who are taking drugs basically Pretty much and then tell um, me this has the has the drugs went down has the addictions went down has drug dealings went down well there's um there's a report that came out i think either start of this year or the end of last year mm-hmm. and they actually found that the price of crystal meth which is like the main drug in the philippines it's actually gone down so it's cheaper meaning there's more of it so uh one of the guys i talked to one of the, like the the vigilante gunmen uh I really, really hope that nobody would tell him about my original job. But one of the guys I met, this guy in a, in a, in a balaclava, so he was telling me, and this is confirmed, like um, like the BBC, I think they've also done interviews with the, the hitmen, they're telling them pretty much the same thing. That they get paid by the police or the army, but one, to, to eliminate drug suspects, clean up the streets. But one thing they do say is that like, if the criminals paid their dues, if they paid their taxes, then like they leave them alone. So my theory is that like one of the things that's there's a lot of things happening. I think there's like some gang wars going on at the same time, so it's kind of complicated. But one of the things that's happening is that like groups within the army and the police, they're just taking out the competition. They're just nationalizing the drug industry and they're taking out the private sector. Mm-hmm. So it's only guys who are working with them. Yeah, so the government's running the drug trade, basically. Pretty much, because yeah. there's there's still meth. We we even found some meth. Mm-hmm. We bought some meth. So why did you end up there? Why did you go there? Because I was interested. That's like this is like the. Is that the start of the journey for the book? It was. It wasn't. It wasn't the start. But I feel that's like one thing that they're um, now talking about. It's almost like people aren't talking about that much in the media now. I think it's kind of like it's almost like a like a genocide. It's like obviously it's different to other genocides with like with the with the Jews or the Armenians or whatever. But like you still have like a group of people like drug addicts or drug dealers, but mostly drug addicts and they say like all right, this is the enemy. These people all deserve to be killed. And then they're doing it and like 30,000 people, that's a that's a lot. Yeah. That's, that's- not yeah, that's a that's a small war. Mm. There's actual wars between countries where less people have died. Yeah. So many places, many places did you travel to, Nico? Oh, oh, I went to overall I went to fifteen countries on five different continents. 
And how did you end up in El Chapo's house? One of the biggest drug dealers ever. Oh man, that was that was wild. So um so there's this village in Mexico called Latuna. And I got in touch with um with this Mexican journalist. And there's a program I have seen on Channel 4 called like Meet the Real Narcos, something like that. There's like this ex-SAS guy and he goes to like Colombia, Peru and Mexico. So it's the same guy who was uh, showing him around Mexico was my guy. So he took me up to, uh, took me up to La Tuna. Uh, one thing, it's, it's like way in the mountains. It's like way deep in the mountains, a four hour drive. So we had to get a four by four because the roads are really windy. But we couldn't find a place, uh, like a car rental place, which had a 4x4 for that weekend. But we did meet like a smack dealer earlier, a heroin dealer, who was selling his pickup truck. So we just went to him, we borrowed his pickup truck. So driving around the mountains in this heroin dealer's pickup truck. And we got to uh, Latuna. And the, uh, it just looks like a small, like typical, like Mexican village that you'd see in the movies, like a Western or something. And, um, my guy, Miguel, the journalist, he sees someone he knows and he says, Hey man, can you take us to Don Angel? <clears throat> and the guy was like, yeah, sure. So, um, he takes us to like this big ass mansion and there's these two, these, uh, these two lads standing outside dressed in full camo. Like, uh, you know, bandoliers, like there's ammo belts across their chest holding machine guns. They just let us through. Um, and then there's this geezer sitting there, uh, silky white shirt, like massive gold cross hanging off his neck. He's having dinner. There's a couple of lads around him, and maybe like his sons or his nephews or something, just looking at us like, who the hell are you guys? And we're like, yeah, we're here to see a Don Gale. And he was like, yeah, I'm Don Gale. What do you guys want? And it turns out that wasn't the Don Gale we wanted. We wanted the Don Gale. There's two guys called Don Gale in that village. One of them's El Chapo's cousin. The other one's his brother. So we accidentally wandered into his brother's house. And his brother has no idea who we are. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of we just kind of s- explained the misunderstanding. Just like slowly scampered out of there like, namaste, namaste. And we meet, met like the actual... The, I mean, sorry, the other, the other Don Angel. And he was just like a typical Mexican cowboy, a huge sombrero, like snakeskin boots. Um, we went around him with him for a bit, chilled with him for a bit. And then when, when night fell, we went back to, went back to uh, Don Angel, the cousin's house. And there was like, it's probably like one of the weirdest nights of my life. Because... One of the businesses Don Gale has, he has a little sushi stand. And maybe it's just for my benefit because I was there because they wanted to fuck with me or whatever. But there was like, it seemed like the whole like security of the village was there. So like about 20 guys with like, um, like fucking Glocks tucked into their, into their jeans, like AR-15s over their shoulders, just standing around eating sushi. While this like Mexican mariachi music is playing in the background. It's the fucking weirdest thing I've seen in my life. One of the weirdest things I've seen in my life. And then um, one of another one of El Chapo's cousins, because they're all related in that village. Um, he asked me, like, what do I think about Albanians? Which I thought was a weird question, like a really random question. But it turns out he's a big fan of you know, that film with Liam Neeson, Taken. Yeah. Where they kidnap yeah, his daughter. The, like yeah, the French yeah. boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Albanians. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So... Yeah, he's just like a massive movie fan. He fucking loves Indiana Jones, loves a bit mm. of Arnie. So we just sat there talking about like Indiana Jones films with like this Mexican drug lord while we're eating sushi at night in the mountains in the middle of the night, surrounded by all his bodyguards who are all also eating sushi. And yeah, I ended up staying over there and then the next morning I had a little barbecue. How many cousins has El Chapo got? Is that people just saying that... They're cousins or are they really cousins? No, I, I think because like they're they're a small village. They're way out in the middle of nowhere. It's like you know, like American hillbillies. Mm-hmm. Like they're all related. Yeah. Uh-huh. Were you networking there, or were you trying to get stories? Were you trying to get gear? No, I was just, I was just, I was just, uh, I was just writing my book. By that point, I just went to. Uh, so to he meet the says, man himself. "Lying bastard, Nicola." <laughs> 
cargo full of shit coming back that night, will you? <laughs> You're not that daft, Nico, are you? <laughs> um, so where else did you go? Where else in your travels were you? I fucking went to, I went to all sorts of places. Brazil, South Africa. Um, Brazil was wild. Any, uh, life, any life or death moments? There was one. No, I don't know if it was really life or death. All right, so it's basically there's two kinds of gangs. In our, I lived in Rio de Janeiro for about a month or a month and a half. Yeah, the murder rate's high there, though. It's wild, yeah. So like, um, there's two kinds of gangs in Rio. There's like the the drug cartels who control the favelas, and like every every weekend in the favelas, there they hold these parties, these like street parties. They're free; anyone can go there. And it's like nothing you've seen in your life. Like they got like this loud, like they call it funk, ballet funk, funk music playing, which is kind of like hip hop, but they use like actual, actual drums and actual instruments. And these fucking, these like 14, 15 year old boys are like walking around with machine guns, firing the guns in the air to the beat. Um, yeah, I took, I, I, uh, I accidentally took my, took my girlfriend to that and we had to we had to go because she was getting too, way too scared but that was quite safe because like the gang doesn't want any trouble on their patch like so those parties like a lot of like middle class brazilian kids go there get some coke yeah there's just like they just have like these market stalls like these uh market stalls full of, of coke so they have like one for like two dollars one for five dollars one for ten dollars and just just like way out in the street and the police can't go there because like it's like you know, like politicians or like newspapers here talk about like no-go zones, or like even here in Glasgow, there's like areas I wouldn't be waving my iPhone around in, yeah. But like, it's got nothing on Brazil where like they need to send in basically tanks to go there because they're gonna get sprayed with bullets. But the other kind of gang they have in in Rio is called the militia, or militia. So they're basically corrupted police. They form their own gang. They say they're like vigilantes, but really they're more like the mafias. Like they chase out drug dealers from an area. And they say like, oh, you know, like be nice if you guys. They go around the local business saying, be nice if you guys chipped in for security every now and then. And then like a couple of weeks later, it's like, yeah, nice, uh, nice hot dog stand you got there. Be a shame if it's spontaneously combusted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one night I'm going home by myself and uh, I was staying in like a militia area at the time. I was going home in a taxi. We had the windows rolled up so you can't see who's inside. And this geezer just, just outside my house, this geezer steps out, dressed all in black, black baseball cap. He's got a pistol. He starts pointing the pistol at my side of the car. And I, I didn't speak any Portuguese, but he starts saying something in Portuguese. So we slowly, we, we roll down the window. I'm just there with my hands up. And I'm like, esto gringo, no fala portuguese, which means like, I'm a gringo, I don't speak Portuguese. And like, when he sees that it's me, because like, there's no, not many gringos in the area, he just puts his gun away, like, haha, go on then. Mm-hmm. Just lets me on my way. That was probably the sketchiest moment in Brazil. What's the best place you've ever visited? Um, one place I really like, just to visit, but not to, not to live there, obviously, but just to visit is, um, is Iran, actually, surprisingly. Is that a war zone or is it as bad as people make out on the TV or is it some bit safe? No, like um, for tourists, it's great. Uh, there's like um, in the east next to the Pakistan border, there's some terrorists, but they usually leave tourists alone. It's mainly like their fight is with the government. But um, we have this kind of idea that like uh, they're living under like the strict like, Islamic law. Which is true, like their government is fucked. Like you can get arrested for having the wrong haircut. There's like some kids arrested just for making a YouTube video of them dancing. Um, but when you go there, like the people are fine. Yeah. It's basically just like the fucking lunatics running the show. Mm-hmm. But like uh, the people are fine. And you know how like a lot of countries, they kind of see you like uh, Western tourists as like kind of a cash machine. Like they try to get as many tourist dollars out of you as they can. But it's like the opposite in Iran. In Iran, people give you shit for free just because you're a tourist. So on my first night, we went around uh, asking for alcohol because alcohol is legal there. Alcohol is a drug. That's one of the things I was wondering about. Like, why are some things illegal here and not there, for example? 
So alcohol is legal there because it's a Muslim country. And we just met this random guy on our first night. And he was like, yeah, yeah, come back, come back in an hour. And he was like playing pool or whatever. It's like, we didn't think he was going to come back in an hour, but like we didn't have any other leads. So we came back in an hour. The dude just rolled up on his moped. He just gave us a six pack of beer. We tried to pay him something for it, but he was like, no, 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 it's for you. Welcome to Iran. And he just drives off. Uh, one interesting thing about Iran, though, is that like the rules wouldn't apply to, to you and me. So it's just um, it's just the Muslims who aren't allowed to drink. But they have a lot of Christians there. They have a lot of Jews there. And it's mainly the Christians who are like the booze dealers. Basically, like the because it's legal for them to have. And it's mostly like the Armenians. So if you want to if you want a six pack, you should call someone like Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Is, so when you've done all your traveling, I read in your book as well, MDMA was actually invented by a German or the Germans yeah, um, yeah. in the early 1900s were. for weight loss. Yeah. Yeah. And it was way too intense for weight loss. Yeah. But um, after that, interestingly... Um, was there some crazy scientist that... Yeah, from the 1960s, it started being used um, in America. Before it was banned, it was banned in the 80s. Before that, it was started being used for therapy. Because, like, you know, MDMA, it's like the love drug. It helps um, helps people open up and stuff, and it's like impossible to feel bad on it. So for a while, it was actually used by therapists, and now in America, they're kind of going back to that. There's um, there's a lot of studies going around. Um, there's one study they did with um, with war veterans. It's like Iraq and Afghan war veterans uh, for their PTSD, and there's like an eighty three percent something like that success rate of uh, reducing the symptoms of PTSD with no serious side effects. So I think like uh, so they're, they're legalizing weed slowly across America, but I think like ecstasy could come back at least in like a sort of medical way. I think so. They say MDMA has got um, medical benefits for the mind, for the brain. Yeah, so yeah. So as it opens certain pathways and... In, in moderation, not yeah, like bashing out pills every going day. Out, yeah, and take fucking MDMA. Cause you, did you not take, it's not half a gram of MDMA? One oh, night. yeah, that was ridiculous. Because at the time, I didn't know how much you're supposed to take or how you're supposed to take it. Like, I was that dumb. I was actually selling it, but I didn't know what to do with it. But I figured, you know, like if I'm selling it, I might as well try it once, right? So I just, I was in the Weatherspoons went to the toilet just poured out the whole like um half gram on a i think it was like a credit card or some or not credit card i was too young like a bank card uh and i just snorted the whole thing and it's like getting fucking punched in the nose like you're not supposed to do that that shit destroys your nose so i was crying for about 15 minutes and i walked out the toilet like my eyes are just red like i've been pepper sprayed at a football match like I'd been maced. And then like just as I go to a bar, it's the bar to order a drink. Just then it kicks in. And that was wild, man. That was like MDMA, it's always the best time is the first time. After that, it always goes downhill. Like you're never gonna have those happy times again. But that was wild. I was um I was basically moonwalking, like Neil Armstrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Like everything's like in slow motion, and uh, one of my mates' dads, he um he owned a nightclub at the time, and there was some kind of private party going on. But he let me in just because he knows me. And I was just wandering around, my eyes wide open like fucking saucers, just chatting shit to these people. They're like, they have no idea who I am. Telling after when you love them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was a wild night. You were involved with the Japanese mafia as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I met the met the yakuza in Japan. What was that like? That's strange because you know in um in Japan it's not they're not really seen as like um like the mafia like sort of like bad people or they're not seen as bad people by everyone at least. So they have this kind of like semi um semi they're like semi legal organizations. They actually have offices. And you can call. You can look up their offices on Google Maps. If like, you, if you know the name of the crime syndicate, put it into Google Maps. You get their office. You get their number. Like, call them up. A secretary picks up the phone. Yes, Tokyo Crime Syndicate. 
Um, so the, the time I met them was there's this. Uh, they usually the Japan has very strict laws. There's one law against like it's called like gangster intimidation or something like that. So they're not allowed to show their tattoos in public in a lot of places. But on these like Japanese national Shinto, uh, Shinto is the traditional religion, Shinto festivals, they are allowed to show them because they're like traditional Japanese tattoos. And yeah, they're just wandering around all over the place and they're happy to like take pictures with tourists, you know. And I just I just saw a big group of them like you I just asked one the one who spoke English, like, so you guys are Yakuza? And he's like, Yeah, we're all Yakuza. And it like you wouldn't you wouldn't see like gangsters like that out here like everyone here like they everyone be like minding their own business but there they're pretty open about it. Why? I think they're kind of seen as like a sort of the the remnants of like the samurai. Mm-hmm. So like they're seen as like because Japan's like it's a very modern society they got like robots they got all sorts of shit but it's also like a very traditional society still. So they still look back on like the sort of samurai era where everything was like more honorable or whatever. And they kind of see the sam- the the Yakuza as like a new samurai in some circles. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. But I think slowly like the attitudes are, towards them are getting more negative. Yeah. Gradually, yeah, yeah. Were you still, when you were doing all this traveling, were you still taking drugs, MDMA or just weed or coke? What were you doing? Oh, just hard. Just all in the name of science. <laughs> yeah, just testing it for yourself for your book. Like the the craziest one I had was um, was something called ayahuasca. Yeah, I've done ayahuasca. Didn't Costa Rica last year. Oh yeah. Yeah. What'd you see? Fucking hell! I seen hell, brother. <laughs> right. I was in hell, fire, pain, misery. It was dark. <clears throat> it's, it ain't an easy ride. <clears throat> no, because I'm drug free, so it's not. For, it's not yeah, a party drug. For me, it was you're skeptical, but for me, I'm a control freak. So <clears throat> I was trying to control it. The, the shamans kept saying, "Surrender, surrender." Yeah, that's hard. And I was trying to. They says, "If you when see you're pain, losing your mind. yeah, they see pain, go towards it, and that's shit scary." You're in the jungle with sixty different people. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. It was weird. I was going in a good place, but for me, I, I'm I'm always searching as well. And there's a devil there that says, oh, there's something there that I can take. They say it's a plant medicine. Was that an excuse for me to go and get fucked up? Or was it, I was really going to try and heal. But I feel good now. I'm in a good place. The people who took it are still in a good place. Yeah. Do you think you got anything out of it at the end? Like I don't know. Your... I, I lost my, kind of lost my memory hmm. for a, a couple of weeks coming back, which was hmm. scary. But they says that was like spirits cutting out all the pain. Not just from this life, but previous lives. Yeah, yeah. It was fucked up, man. It was dark, and a lot, <coughs> I seen a lot of pain. So much pain, so much death. Yeah, I've lost a lot of family members and friends to like yeah. murder and suicide. So, I've seen a lot of dark shit. Um, and they says because they, they told me to go and take a third cup. Um, so, I took it, and they say, "How do you feel?" I just says, "I, I feel I'm in pain." They say, "Right, good, it's working." <laughs> Yeah, they got that purge as well. They makes yeah. you throw up. I never threw up. They gave me they, they give you a, they gave me a list mm. like two two three weeks beforehand. Like no masturbation, no alcohol, mm. no drugs, no sugar, no meat. Mm. I, I was already vegetarian. I was already drug free. The, obviously, the masturbating was a, a tough one, but I, I stuck <laughs> I stuck to everything. I done it because they says the if you go in there cleaner, it's quicker for the ayahuasca to work on other things yeah, because if yeah. you've got the toxins in your body it'll work on that first which could take a couple of days so I went there bang on it I wasn't a sick the very last day mm. and that was a 12 hour ceremony that was hardcore yeah it's fucking yeah. painful the, the documentaries out this year oh you filmed it yeah, as well yeah, you yeah. madman yeah How, where did you do it I was in Peru but yeah. you not think that the kind of people a lot of weed smokers there a lot mm. of weed smokers yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you tend to think it's like because a lot of people to smoke weed with it as well yeah no 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 but there's a lot of people who smoke DMT now Mm. which ayahuasca has which ayahuasca has DMT in it so a lot of people have gone from weed because they're wanting that extra hit they're wanting that extra something and it's scary because a lot of weed smokers also go into heroin yeah so it's what was your experience like man it was so I, I did it I did it four times over the course of a week, but the, the first time that was the most insane one. That's when like I just 
lost all my sort of sense of time and space. So there was like one point where I needed to cool off and I, I was wearing my swimming trunks just because I'm paranoid. Like I'm going to have like a little accident while this is all happening. So I Shut yourself. Something like that. Yeah. Mm. That's when you know you've got a good batch though. <laughs> <laughs> I was wearing my trunks. And I need to cool off. And there was this, this, um, this girl who was like completely sober. She's just there to like watch over us, make sure we didn't do anything stupid. And um, so she took me to the, to the shower and like I turned on the shower and just this rainbow comes out and I start just kind of bouncing off the walls. Uh, but that wasn't as weird as like what was going on in my head. So like I asked her, it's like, how long have I been in, in the shower for? And she says about five minutes, but it just felt like I've lived my whole life in the shower. You know, it felt like, you know, like the end of The Shining where you see like Jack Nicholson's face on that, on that, the on door? that photo. Yeah, yeah. And it just zooms out mm -hmm. that he's always been at the hotel. It's like, I've always been in the shower. Mm -hmm. And, oh man, that was, that was, that was something else. Uh, the second time, I'm not going to lie, I was too scared the first time. So I didn't drink enough. So I just, I didn't get any effect of it. So yeah, I, was, see, I took three cups the first time. Oh, the first yeah. time I took the one. Yeah, I took one. You're a madman. I never felt fuck all the one. <laughs> but there was people who took half a cup who were screaming. Oh, really? So I took one and I was like, I thought to myself, this is a lot of shite. This yeah. ain't working. Um, I took a second cup, then boom, game time. That was oh, fucking scary. They had to lift, they lifted my mattress outside. They had to take me outside. They all came and lifted it and put me outside. So they did. I fucking hot a badging. <laughs> I took a loopy one. I couldn't Jesus. stop laughing as well, but it's a lot of screams, people screaming, people shitting themselves. Mm. Um, I don't know, man. As a placebo effect comes into play where people believe before they're going to go that it's going to help them, mm. it's going to change their mindset, so be it. And people do change on it. For me, and I says this to the guy, Jerry Powell, who runs it, I, I don't know. I still mm. don't know. I don't have all the answers. I believe you can get to certain states <coughs> from meditation as well. Mm. So you can, and you tend to see, what is it we're searching for, Nico? Why did you do it? Why did I do it? What is it we're searching for? Are we just curious of what it's like because we've tried every other drug? Hmm. Are we really going to get answers? Do you know what I mean? What was your, just, why I, did you do I just that? Read, I just read a lot about it and uh, it just, it just felt like, because I was, I was doing like, a, I was backpacking around South America a bit. So I went Brazil, Colombia and Peru and I just wanted to to immerse my... At that time, I wasn't writing the book at all. This is like way before the book, but after jail. So I just wanted to kind of immerse myself in the local culture a bit. But I think it really did um, help me think kind of outside the book. On the last night, especially. Not so much the first night where it was just fucking crazy shit bouncing around the shower. But the last night that I took it, that's when like I st things started to click for me more. Like I kind of saw my place in the universe a little bit differently. And I saw how like people might've been reacting to like some things I did. Cause I, after prison, I had like a couple, some, um, some mental problems, uh, just from the, from the shock of being in prison, how much it disrupted my life. And also just like weird ideas that developed while I was in prison. And it, it really did help me like think about it in a whole new way. Uh, so in that sense, I think it was good, but yeah, like you said, it's not it's not like something you take a party, you know. It's oh, fucking that's intense. A, it's that's an experience. Was, yeah, it's an experience. I'm glad I did that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I, I still don't know. People always ask me all the time, "Should I do it?" I believe I always tell them, "Listen, if it's your calling, then try it." But mm. I wouldn't be where I am today if I never did all the other shit mm. in the past. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always. There might be something else in 10 years, but they say but there's half a million plants or over a million plants that for these two plants to be mixed together and get this tea mm. that apparently reconnects you with your soul, makes you face all your fears. This is a five-star resort I was at, so it was clean. It was <laughs> yeah, beautiful, yeah. but once you get into this temple, yeah, it's game time. You ain't allowed to leave. And you've got shamans, you've got people yeah. with, throwing smoke and people screaming. It was like fucking hell. I thought I was in yeah. hell. I was just flames. It's crazy. And I was seeing like snakes. And um, they kept telling me to surrender. So I took three cups the first night and I was I was gone, man. 
And I woke up the next day and I felt, fuck this, I'm getting a flight home. But after a couple of hours, I was ready to go again. Yeah, yeah. Were you in the jungle? Yeah, I was in the jungle. Yeah. Jungle for a week. Uh, I, I remember like the the third night that we did it, um, there was a storm brewing. And like you could hear like thunder and stuff in the background. I was thinking, oh shit, this is going to mm-hmm. be... This is gonna be a fun night, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. It wasn't that bad in the end. Maybe just because like we kind of knew was was like we had a better idea what was gonna happen, but it was fine. So, do you think you got the answers that you wanted? I got some answers, but I'm not sure they're the ones to my questions. But would you do it again? Yeah, yeah, I'd do it again. Um, bit expensive to fly out to South America every time, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not cheap. There's places that I know. There's places in like Amsterdam, but I don't think there is professional. Professional. Like, I think you want just... you want to be there with like the people who like like the shamans who mm-hmm. like done this like their whole lives. Yeah. you want to be in safe hands yeah. when you're going through. You, you do feel safe with them. I believe those guys they, they can see spirits. They can see energies. When I was taking ayahuasca, I was seeing it people's energy. Mm-hmm. It sounds crazy. I've seen it. I've seen it coming out of people. I was I seen it with the way they were walking. It's a painful experience. Fucking thing. I ain't here to go, oh yeah, take it and then you come back. You really dig deep. You really dig deep, mm. man. And it's, would I do it again? Probably. But again, is that my addiction's kicking in? Where the reason you can't do it all the time is because it is so fucking expensive. Mm. So you need to be careful that are we doing it just for, to get an extra Sh- kick? Shamans do like four times a week though. Yeah. Are they happy though? I remember one of them, he had just like, um, he only had one good eye and the other eye was just like gray and pointed somewhere that way. So like, that's what, that's how he sees the spirit world, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And like, you can look at life all differently. Everybody can see things differently. And if it's something for you, then go and try it. It's an experience. But for me, it's to just keep, keep chipping away. So you talk about your mindset, what happened? Were you, was it more shock? Just a bit of depression, fear, anxiety. What, after the ayahuasca? No, just beforehand, when you said you had a bit of mental health issues. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that's actually getting worse, in, or it was getting worse when I was there. Because um, obviously, when you have a problem like out here in the real world, you can just like go for a walk, call your mates, and uh, go for a beer or whatever, go to the park, go fishing with your dad, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But... Um, in uh in prison you're just stuck in a room and you just claustrophobic own... not so much claustrophobic well maybe a little bit yeah but just like you're just locked in one place you can't move you only have your own thoughts for company and it's very hard to kind of get out so like you have certain thoughts that just keep going round and round your head so like my my two thoughts were a that i was like a fucking massive loser of fuck ups like the complete opposite of why i became a drug dealer for like not popular not successful mm-hmm. right now i'm I'm dead to everyone on the outside that was my other one thought my second thought was uh i had a crush on this one girl outside and like just before i went to prison she broke up with her boyfriend so like that thought kept going round and round my head until it got to a point where i like and this is one thing i realized after ayahuasca that like she stopped being like a real human being she started being this kind of abstract symbol that I'm projecting a lot of my my ideas on, mm-hmm. and obviously when you get when you get obsessed with something or someone like that, that's not that's not a good place. Yeah, definitely, it can fuck with your mind because mm. you're focusing your energy onto someone else. That's why, like, um, when Tell me Johnny that's... Steele was telling yeah. me about the uh, being in isolation for like two or three years. Yeah, one of Scotland's most punished prisoners. Yeah, great like... guy, Johnny, but. Doing the documentary on Johnny's a great guy. Yeah. Great stories. But great I would stories. go mad after just like yeah. a week in But that's what it's that's what it's there for, to break you. To break mm. you. And but again, drug dealing, that's what comes with a package. Prison, yeah. death, attempt murders, mindset's gone. I know mm. plenty of drug dealers out there whose mind is fucked. Because mm. subconsciously consciously as well, it eats away at your soul because you know what you're doing is wrong. Mm. No matter what, as you're selling MDMA, heroin, coke, you are destroying others' lives. Mm. You've got to think of their mums who are worrying for their kids or even the mums and dads who are on drugs. Even people who do it at the weekends take a bit of coke and they think it's great. I'm telling you, two or three years down the line, your, men, your mindset is fucked. I believe we've all got mental health issues, mm. but alcohol, 
coke, drugs, any signed up drug, we will push you over the edge eventually. And that's mm. why I believe suicide's on the rise is because eventually that shit, what goes up must come down and you keep taking that shit. I read there was a study there when you take cocaine, your um, dopamine levels don't go back to normal six months later. Six mm. months later, so your mind's still fucked. And people stay off it for two or three weeks and say, oh, I feel good, I'm ready to go again. But eventually, that shit eats at your mind, fucks your nose, your heart, your kidneys, your liver, yeah. and eventually takes away your pain. It takes away. It might mask the pain mm. that you're in, but eventually it will, it will win, and that's the scary thing. So, including yourself, you need to be careful with alcohol, weed, mm. all the other shits, because if you've struggled with mental health before, that shit will creep back up with you. So yeah. you need to think, listen, ayahuasca is a tea, I get it, but it's all the, the other stuff that come with it. Why mm. do we over drink? Why do we take drugs? Mm. I believe in all we say it, we're escaping. We're escaping the reality. We don't like it here. Mm. We can't handle it. So what do we do? We hide. We hide behind gambling, abuse, fucking anger, frustration. Yeah, yeah. A wee bit of selling drugs because it gives a wee bit of power, but it's, it's an illusion. It's like mm. fame. Don't mean shit. Do you know what I mean? Everything's within. I believe yeah, yeah. you can get to these heights in these states, not just by taking things externally. I believe internally. Mm. which is a great thing to be at, which is try to get some bliss, which is difficult unless we're sitting on top of mountains every day. We're yeah. in the rat race, brother. Do you know what but, I mean? You know, like I worked, I worked in your office there. I see like the, the Buddha. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a good, good vibe here. You know, like yeah. a good, uh, good feng shui. Is good the energy, Chinese brother. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You'll be a new man as soon as you walk out this door. As soon as you get that line of Charlie on you. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I used to, um, I used to, one of the stuff I used to was Coke, but I think like now I've read about it, I think like uh, cocaine, like in terms of what it does to your body, it's like one of the worst drugs. Of course that is. I, I think it's actually worse than, than heroin because technically heroin, mm-hmm. if you got like, because you can get heroin on prescription. If you got heroin on prescription... Like you might get constipated or something, but you probably won't overdose. You mm. won't get any nasty shit mixed in. Like your main problem is your addiction, yeah. Mm. But like cocaine, you can get addicted to it. But cocaine, in any form, pure or not pure, it slowly destroys your body. Like every yeah. line pushes you closer to a heart attack. Of man. Every drug, everybody's. I would never touch heroin because I was always too proud. I used to look at that as a dirty drug, but mm. every addiction's the same. Mm. It's all the fucking same. Well, if you're addicted to something that's taking you away from a, a conscience frame of mind, is it's not good. You try and do things naturally, the beauty of life, and I'm clean and sober now, but mm-hmm. my demons and problems are still there. I'm still battling every day. I just handle them better. Mm-hmm. I handle them more correctly. I don't look at a problem and find another hundred problems. I get a problem and find a solution. And as much as I can talk all this shit, it's proven that I'm doing it. Actions speak mm-hmm. louder than words and I'm doing it. I'm, something's clicked do you know what i mean so people will listen and go mm, he's talking a lot of shit but i've been there i've been in the, dark. Nah, I've been in the trenches um, do you know what i mean they've done uh they've done a study that's uh in iceland actually um so I, in my opinion like the war on drugs is wrong it's wrong to lock people up for for just for using drugs but what they did in iceland is it's so, like they invested in like the late 90s, like early 2000s. They invested a lot more in like after school programs, mm-hmm. like more sports activities for the kids. And like you see it fall a lot. Like when someone like sports, for example, it's a great way, like investing more money in sports is a great way to get kids off drugs. So they have something to do. They've got some, a reason to, mm-hmm. to stay fit and healthy. And like, I think... Um, where they did it with with drinking smoking cigarettes and smoking weed i think it fell like by some crazy amount from like 25 percent of all icelandic teenagers getting mashed every every mm-hmm. month it's like five yeah. percent so it's like a crazy just when just from investing in the right areas so yeah. i think they should take the money out stop blocking people up in prisons for like minor bullshit start putting that into reasons why people are so depressed why they have these psychological addictions why like um give them something better to do something to aspire to you know mm. yeah you need you need to be driven you need goals you need something to get up in the mm. morning if you ain't get any passion to get up you're just going to fail because there's life's struggling i've got passion now i've got goals but it's still a struggle to get up so you ain't got that shit you're going to struggle even worse so what do you do is you surround yourself <coughs> with the losers who are constantly gambling or drinking or taking drugs and 
I'm not trying to be mean, but the mm-hmm. reason I call them losers because I was one for 15 years. Mm-hmm. No, no hope, no just no vision, no belief. And then remember, the more shit, bad shit you do, the more it's on. It becomes harder to unravel it all again and get rid of it. Mm. It takes years and years to change, and it can be done. Though that is the beauty of life. When mm. you were in prison, Nico, tell me this. He says you were popular. Always invited to parties. You had everyone yeah. around you. When you were in prison. How many visitors came? Not enough. Exactly. Not enough. Exactly. That comes with the territory as well, doesn't it? Yeah. No cunt cares, mate. I mean, the worst. The worst thing about it is, I obviously like now. Nah, like some some people did come. Now, like you know, you start to see who like your real friends are. Yeah. But there's a lot of times. And this the worst thing is like when you booked a visit with someone or. Um, you set up a visit and like you can set up with like three different up to three in my prison it was up to three different people you can have on your visit. So three visits time. a month? No, like some so you can have one visit with three visitors. Yeah, yeah. How many visits per month were you allowed? Oh, I don't three. remember. But I remember that they carried over, so if you didn't use your visits for one month, you could mm-hmm. like have well, that's one okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. But there'd be some times where just there and like no one would come and you're just in the in the visiting room by yourself you're looking around everyone else is talking like with their families with their friends or families sometimes they got their little kids running around and stuff as well and you're just sitting there on your own and like for a while you 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 um you wait it out like you see like okay maybe they're late maybe you know because you don't know what's happening out and sometimes they are late sometimes they do show up like 15 mm-hmm. 20 minutes like just traffic whatever so like they can't call you, they can't text you, you yeah, know what's yeah, happening. Yeah. But then like you sometimes they don't show up, then you just sat there and you go back and you think like why don't they show up? And you go back to your cell and then that plays on your mind as well. Mm-hmm. Like you think like you like again, you can't like just text and say like where are you at? Like it it just plays into your sort of paranoia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Your insecurities. Yeah. Yeah. I actually like they they lock people up for drugs, but they still have drugs in prison. And you get more drugs in prison than you do fucking outside. Yeah, and obviously, like the people in prison already, they're like a lot more vulnerable because, like, everyone or every like I'm gonna say like three quarters of people in prison have some kind of mental health issue. Mm-hmm. So I think mental health issues, that's what drives addiction, really. Mental health issues. Of course, remember if you've got a wife or a girlfriend, you're thinking she getting fucked or yeah, yeah. Of course, do you know what I mean? Is she going to wait five years? Exactly. Realistically, is she fuck? Do you know what I mean? She's got needs as well. Yeah. So it's this is what I'm saying. Where these strong men think it's cool walking about with the big Rolexes and the big fancy cars selling drugs. But yeah. as soon as they're in prison, you find out who the strong people are because mm. you ain't strong if you go and dabble on drugs because you can't handle the pain. You can't mm. handle your way of thinking in there. So what do you do? You hide behind the mask. It's mm. only a very, very small percentage of people in prison that don't turn to drugs. They go through their prison. They maybe learn, they maybe educate themselves and they come out a new person. Maybe one or two percent, if that, that do that. The rest can't handle their sentence. They can't handle being away from their loved ones, but they yeah. put themselves in there. And it, this is where, in life, man, it's to try and do good. If I believe if you do good, you will attract good. And I, always, and I will always say that. Yeah, that's what I tried to do with my book. You know, I tried to take my kind of negative experiences I try to make that into something positive because you know you got to work with what you've got, right? Exactly, brother. So plans for the future, Nico. Tell me, brother, what's it? What do you see yourself doing? Staying out of trouble? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I got. Um, I'm working on another book called uh, How to Break Out of Prison. It's got different uh, prison break stories from across the world. So um, to talked about Johnny Boy. Johnny Boy. Yeah, we got him. Um, talking to this guy, uh, Redwan Faid. He's uh, he escaped from French prison twice. First time he had like a box. He blew his way out with explosives. Second time he got a helicopter to get him out. Fucking, um, El Ch- I've met El Chapo's family already, and obviously El Chapo had that epic jailbreak with his mile long many tunnel. is it not many jailbreaks two, El two. Chapel, yeah yeah one he hid in the laundry basket the second one he had like a massive tunnel a mile long tunnel dug yeah. from from his cell to like just some to, shed to a house yeah yeah and yeah, it yeah. was nuts they had like the they had ventilation they had mm-hmm. lights and they even yeah. had like a little motorbike for him to ride <laughs> that's nuts isn't it so that's my new project man mm-hmm. good brother so before we finish up how why have you got so many good contacts all around the world can you discuss that well obviously like some of them some of them are people i knew back in the day 
that that agreed to, to talk to me but others like it's um it's surprising what you can find out just from, oh yeah also from my time at rt my time in the media but it's all surprising what you can find out just from asking around but the one thing i will say is like before i go to every country i always make sure that um i know somebody there who can guide me around because i can't just like go around some dive bars in Mexico asking like big burly guys in my chachas, excuse me, which of you gentlemen does this poppy field belong uh, to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, before we finish up, we never touched on the killing in Manila. Yes, that was one of the one of the death squads. Did uh, you see the body? We didn't see the body. The body was carried away just before we got there, but we were, basically we were eating a restaurant at a restaurant and um my guy, my, my, the one of the local guys who's showing me around, he's just checking his sweater and he says, oh shit, there's like, there's been another killing just across the street. And it's like, um, it was the same MO as like all the vigilante killings. So it's like a couple of guys, two guys on a motorbike, black mask, drive up, shot him twice in the head. And yeah, I just dropped, dropped all our plates. We like left one of them, one of my mates there just to like, so as we he he pays for because like we can't roll off without paying the bill, so he took care of the bill. We ran down the street, and that's the first time I saw someone's brains where they're not supposed to be. There's just big crowd gathered, um, a massive pool of blood, a uh, few like little sticky, little sticky, more solid little bits floating around, which were quite nasty. And um, I remember one thing that really that struck me was uh, so one man. He uh, he got down, he lit a candle, and he just left it there for the dead, mm-hmm. just in their memory. We didn't know if that was like um, directly connected to the to the drug war, but it's the same it's the same kind of killing as like the thirty thousand drug war killings. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's like um, they just use the same hitmen for for different jobs. It's like they they pay the same guys to do the drug killing and then just do other killing. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know what it was about. Mm-hmm. At least you're safe now, brother. In Glasgow, not I mean I wouldn't say too safe, bro. <laughs> Where can people buy your book, Nico? Don't worry. Um, yeah, it'll be on Amazon, WH Smiths. I think Waterstone should have a few. We'll put the links in the description. Nico, it's been an absolute pleasure, it's brother. It's been a pleasure, bro. God bless you. Thanks for having Stay me. Stay strong. Bro. Stay all clean. No more killings. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> Cheers. You can also watch my podcast on my YouTube channel. The link is in the bio if you'd like to subscribe. You can follow me on my social media platforms to see who my next guest is. Follow me on Facebook at James English 11, Twitter, James English 0, Instagram, James English 2. You can also download these podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Sports Social Podcast Network.